Hi there. I'm Lee Redhead, a writer and member of Sisters in Crime Australia. Welcome to Scarlet Stiletto Bites, scintillating short stories by Australian women. Our weekly podcast is designed for busy lives. Each murder mystery is short, but not always sweet. Expect twisted tales, quirky humour, imagination, and a frisson of feminism. Sisters in Crime Australia's Scarlet Stiletto Awards were established in 1994 to unearth criminal literary talent. We're producing these podcasts of winning stories to celebrate the sisters' 30th anniversary ceremony in Melbourne in late 2023. The concept designer and narrator is fellow sister, actor, barrister, broadcaster, and best-selling true crime author, Susanna Lobez. Hello, Susanna here. Murders happen in the strangest places and for the strangest reasons. Today's story illustrates this fact. 20-something Marxist socialist, still living at home in Mum and Dad's McMansion, was more focused on ranting about the fascist male capitalist conspiracy which was oppressing the masses. She usually did this while flicking through high-end fashion magazines. She hadn't quite decided whether her destiny was to look after the sprogs of the proletariat or to design clothes for the bourgeoisie. Either way, we figured she was destined to be sponging off her parents for a good while yet. I think you'd better come in here, Lindy called out to us. On second thoughts, call an ambulance. She hesitated slightly and then said, Or perhaps just the police? This sounded more interesting than... Someone's poured blue paint in the red paint bottle, which was the usual start of the day, so both Rosa and I walked down the hall. We passed the walls covered in stick figure paintings in primary colours and posters advertising events, masquerading as fun social nights out, but which were actually designed to fleece the parents in a bid to keep the kinder open. The hall opened into the playroom with its worn-out lino and lingering Play-Doh smell. We walked to where Lindy was standing. There in the home corner was Zarko. He hadn't been a good-looking man alive and, fair to say, he looked even worse dead, but then a large compass through the head was Never a good look, sartorially speaking. It was a bit too cutting edge, even for Lindy. The three of us looked at each other and then back at Zarko. Gosh, I stammered. Oh my, murmured Rosa. Holy fuck, exclaimed Lindy. Lindy had been in the industry for only six months and she often forgot the cardinal coffee rule. You might be looking as dark as a double espresso, you might be thinking thoughts murkier than the bottom of a Turkish coffee, but you are not allowed to say anything stronger than baby Chino in the vicinity of the kinder. The only thing more sacred than the coffee rule was the no-nuts policy. Sadly, this was not designed to deny access to the occasional mad parent, 
That was focused on what food could be brought into the centre. Even Lindy obeyed this one as she suffered from nut allergies herself. After some silence and glaring at Lindy, we're not the types to let our standards drop, even with a dead body in the room, Rosa asked, What's that poking out of the top of his head? A giant compass, I answered. I bought it to draw large chalk circles outside on the pavement. For the four-year-olds, it's mostly wooden, completely safe, except, I guess, for the rather large metal needle part that appears to have pierced his brain. You don't think DHS will launch an investigation into this, do you? asked Lindy. She hadn't been here long, but she had learned that a Department of Human Services investigation was something to be avoided at all costs. Too much paperwork. We like to pass on our many years of experience to little grasshoppers like Lindy. No, said Rosa. It isn't a kid. It's only likely to be the police. We all cheered up at that realisation. Is he definitely dead? Rosa queried. Well, he feels cold, said Lindy, crouching down next to the body and fumbling around his neck area. As Zarko was a man who sweated large blotches through his clothes, even in the dead of winter with the air conditioning on, this sounded like a clincher. After some hesitation, Lindy got up. I'll go and get Princess Anne. She's a nurse. She'll know about dead bodies, she called as she walked back up the corridor. Princess Anne was the nickname for Anne Mackay, the maternal health nurse who shared the building with us. She was middle-aged and jaded, like the rest of us, except Lindy, who was young and jaded, but did it with a nice manicure and blonde highlighted hair. Somehow she managed to stretch her paycheck to look like she belonged to the ladies who lunched or had affairs with tennis coaches in between buying modern art and doing charity work. Mutton dressed as lamb, I always thought, but then what's so attractive about dressing as mutton? Lindy regularly recognised the designer clothes Anne wore and enjoyed shocking Rosa and me by informing us that the skirt or the shirt or the bag or, if it was a bad week, the haircut, was worth more than our weekly wage combined. Lindy was torn between thinking that this was evidence of the ills of the capitalist money-grubbing society we were forcing the children of tomorrow to conform to and wanting them for herself. I'll find the police, said Rosa, and then the union. The union, I questioned. Well, if this doesn't get us danger money, I don't know what will. Rosa had been waging a one-woman war against our hourly rate. While no sane person would argue that the leafy green comfortable suburb we worked in was dangerous. Similarly, no sane person would work for the hourly rate we do, so I didn't stop her. That left me alone with Zarko, and to be honest, he wasn't the greatest company. Zarko was a big man, at least six foot four. I hadn't talked to him much, even though he cleaned the centre six mornings a week. 
It's supposed to be six nights a week, but often he was just finishing as we started work. We were on a good morning grunting arrangement. I'd say good morning, and he would grunt in reply. So I can't say I was as upset at the death as I was at losing a perfectly good wooden compass. Lindy came back looking pensive, but without Princess Anne, who it seems was sick today. Fifteen minutes later, Rosa came back with the police. As Zarko hadn't moved in the meantime, it was safe to say we didn't need the ambulance. Sergeant Michael Bakula looked like a tired, middle-aged man, because that was what he was. We all knew him well, as he had three boys who'd all attended the preschool. George still attended, a regular expert at teaching the other four-year-olds about interrogation methods and kneecapping recalcitrant offenders. Lindy looked at Mick in disgust and walked away muttering about the tools of a vicious authoritarian state. Clearly the Marxist was winning over the fashionista today. Rosa and I smiled at him and Mick took down the few details we knew about Zarko. Any idea who who did this? he asked, hopefully. Nope, I said. Anyone who disliked him? Well, outside the fact that he had virtually no education, learned English from Sesame Street and still managed to get paid more than us with our four-year tertiary degrees which I greatly resented. I can't think of anyone offhand, retorted Rosa. She snorted to herself and walked away. Well, that left Mick and me looking at the body. Shit, said Mick. I glared. The coffee rule applied to everyone. I'd better get this place cordoned off. Well, for how long? It's a curriculum day today, but tomorrow we've got the four-year-olds for a full day. I think uh, classes will be cancelled for a few days at least, said Mick, and then as an afterthought swore again. (laughs) George was supposed to be here tomorrow. I guess I'm going to have to chuck a sickie. In the end, the kinder was closed for a week, but when we returned it all seemed surprisingly normal for a kindergarten, which had been emblazoned on the front cover of the Herald Sun under the banner headline, Kill Dead Garten. A pedant might ask what other kinds of killing there are, but if such a pedant worked in a kinder, where the cleaner had been murdered, maybe they should just be grateful that the headline wasn't Dumb Teacher Buys Killer Compass. Once the police ruled out any underworld links to the murder, the media interest waned, although I guessed it would all be rekindled if it turned out to be the work of a psychopathic preschooler. I had finished a long session with the four-year-olds, which had included George Bakula explaining to the children about police procedure and not touching any toys for fear of disturbing the crime scene, when I walked into the kitchen where Rosa and Sue, the president of the preschool committee, were deep in conversation. Sue was one of those people who didn't say much but got a lot of things done. The type of person who ran basketball comps, looked after elderly parents, sat on parents and friends committees at schools and 
bake cakes for cake stalls, all without any whinging. In my book, that made her a modern-day saint. Well, a complete lunatic. She didn't have much of a sense of humour, but then not many saints were known for their humour. I'm not so sure about lunatics. At the moment, neither she nor Rosa looked happy. Have you heard Mirabelle's latest idea? Rosa asked me a little aggressively. Now, most parents are all right, even those who are deluded enough to think that their little angel might be gifted, which accounts for at least a third of the parents in any given year. However, there is always one who could try the patience of a lunatic or a modern-day saint. And this year, it was Mirabelle, mother of Shalini. Mirabelle believed in the purity of children, not setting boundaries around their wisdom and allowing them to open our eyes to society's limitations. She had thought that Shalini should be homeschooled, but had decided that Shalini was a gift that should be shared with the community. Shalini made all of us believe in homeschooling as well. Mirabelle thinks we should have a cleansing ceremony to banish the feng shui, the bad feng shui, from Zarko's death. She's particularly concerned about how her delicate flower Shalini will cope with the negative vibrations of his restless soul, Sue said. Rosa grimaced at the kettle, and if I didn't know her better, I would have thought that she was muttering some distinctly caffeinated comments under her breath. Shalini didn't seem too bothered today by the negative vibrations, I said. I had to rescue little Sam McCarkas before she brained him with a piece of wood in order to recreate the crime scene. If we don't have a ceremony, any chance Shalini might not be able to return to such a dangerous spiritual environment? Rosa asked hopefully. No, said Sue, and Mirabel has been trying to gain support for the idea from other parents. We should just go along with it. Fine answered Rosa in a tone that implied it was anything but, as long as I do not have to participate in any way. In the end, we all went. Even Princess Anne attended, dressed in Prada, Lindy muttered, but looking like death warmed up, must have still been getting over her flu. Rosa pretended to be there under protest, but actually she wouldn't have wanted to miss the debacle it was likely to be. Debacle it was. Mirabelle hadn't managed to convince many parents to attend, only the handful who were too polite or too stupid to avoid her completely. Sue had dragooned the usual suspects, that is, everyone else on the kinder committee, and it was fair to say they looked pretty mutinous, having to give up another Saturday for the kinder. Mirabelle, resplendent in a flowing purple muumuu, started the ceremony with the lighting of incense, some chanting and the tapping of bells. Shalini was then invited, on behalf of the children of the school, none of whom were in attendance, to place the flower on the spot where the body was found 
and engage in a spot of liturgical dancing with scarves and tambourine. Shalini, who thoroughly enjoyed all the attention of the crowd, decided to change it into a dance of the seven veils and started shedding her clothes during the performance. She also incorporated a few moves that made me think she'd been avidly watching Saturday morning video hits, even though I knew Mirabel had previously claimed not to own a television. After several minutes, we discovered even Mirabel had her limits as she tried to bring the performance to a close. Shalini was eventually dragged away kicking and yelling about respecting artistic differences. It led to an awkward silence as everyone noticed the cracks in the ceiling or scuff marks on the floor. Finally, Sue stepped forward and thanked everyone for coming, at which stage there was a charge for the exit from people desperate to leave before Mirabel returned to continue the ceremony. Princess Anne left the room looking red-eyed. She was the only one looking upset, as opposed to the rest of us who were a mixture of annoyed at having to come and relieved about getting out of there far more quickly than we'd expected. I stayed behind to put away the chairs and tidy up, and Rosa came over to help. Anne looked a bit sad. Did she even know Zarko? I queried. Yeah, he was her house cleaner, Rosa answered. He used to clean for a few of the parents as well, like Mirabelle. All cash in hand kind of stuff. Nice if you got the money. We grabbed the pint-sized chairs that everyone had been forced to sit on for the last 20 minutes as a kind of ritualistic torture and stacked them in the crafty corner. The police are no closer to working out who did murder Zarko, I told Rosa. Mick was in picking up George yesterday and said they're still waiting on forensics but really had nothing to go on. Mick says all of the resources are tied up with those underworld killings, so it's going to be ages before they get any results. Any word when we're getting our compass back? asked Rosa. I don't think we are. Darn, that would look like a good compass, Rosa finished stacking her chairs and then started to move back some of the tables that had been shoved in the corner out of the way for the ceremony. She seemed a bit worried about something and and finally blurted out, Look, there's one thing that has been bothering me. It's about the alarm. The centre, like every other these days, was well alarmed against the occasional opportunistic burglary. Though, to be honest, you'd think they'd explore more fruitful opportunities unless they specialised in the distribution of hot pots of clag glue. What are you talking about? I asked her. When we came in on the day we found Zarka, you turned it off. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it should have been off already. Zarka would have turned it off when he came in to clean. He would only turn the alarm back on when he left. I pondered this for a while. So, are you saying that the person who killed him turned off the alarm? Why? No idea, but it narrows down who the killer might be. Half the kinder community has the alarm code, I answered. Not any more, they don't. Remember the break-in last year, when the door was forced? After that, we changed the alarm code, so the only person with the codes are employees and Sue as president. I pondered this some more. 
Lindy walked over, having overheard the part of the discussion about the alarm. And Mirabelle? she said. Well, how did Mirabelle get the code? asked Rosa in exasperation. Remember when she wanted to celebrate the pagan ritual of the mother rather than Easter this year? She had to come in early to decorate, and as none of us wanted to come in, I gave her the code. Rosa looked at Lindy in a double-shot espresso kind of way. Well, she said heavily, that leaves the employees, Sue and Mirabelle, unless everyone has given out the code willy-nilly. Well, I haven't given the code out to anyone, I answered, and Sue won't have. Sue took official duties very seriously. Well, I haven't either, Rosa stated firmly, so that leaves a very small number of people who would have known what time Zarko actually cleaned and the alarm code to re-alarm the door. Well, maybe they didn't know when Zarko cleaned and were surprised he was here and killed him, I pondered aloud. Oh, come on, said Rosa. What else were they here to do? Steal the precious artworks? Of course they must have been here to kill him. You you think it was deliberate? asked Lindy, a little shakily. He is six foot four and was found with a giant compass in the back of his head. I don't think he tripped. Rosa's voice was dripping with sarcasm now. Clearly I was no Miss Marple and it didn't make much sense to me, but Lindy looked a bit dazed and sat down heavily on the last unstacked tiny chair. I think I know who did it then, Lindy said. Oh yeah, right, said Rosa. Okay, let me guess. Miss Scarlet in the home corner with the wooden compass. No, no, I'm serious, answered Lindy. I know who killed him. I just don't have the foggiest idea why. Okay, I said, who is it? If you don't tell us, and then you are bound to get shot by the stranger on the grassy knoll, scoffed Rosa. Lindy stood up. You, you wouldn't believe it if I told you anyway? She quickly walked away, past Princess Anne, who had just entered the room. She had reapplied her makeup and seemed to have pulled herself together. I'm off, she said. You should have heard what Lindy was saying, Rosa said. She reckons she knows who killed Zarko. And said nothing, but began to look upset again. Oh, well, I'm heading home. I moved towards the hall. See you Monday. Wait up, said Rosa. I'll come with you. We walked out to our cars together. Let's go for a coffee, suggested Rosa. And what was up with Lindy, I wondered. And what's up with you? You were a bit rough on her. Oh, I probably was a bit... The union got back to me yesterday. No go from the department about the danger money. I laughed. It's only an extra 13 cents an hour. It's the principal, answered Rosa huffily. I could see she was pretty steamed. All right, coffee it is. Half an hour later, we came back to the cars again. Before I got into mine, I looked back toward the kinder and noted the lights were still on. Hang on, I called to Rosa. Lindy must have forgotten to turn off the lights. Rosa looked back and then checked around the street. No, look, there's her car. She must still be in the kinder. Sure enough, there was Lindy's sporty little Holden Astra with the number plates Lindy 666. 
We like to joke it was because Lindy could be a beast, but I think it was some poorly judged attempt by her parents to celebrate her 18th. You should go in and say you're sorry, I told Rosa. Oh, well, I, I, I guess she needs to know the danger money is not going to come through, Rosa said just a little sheepishly. We walked into the hall with its 30 little hawks notice boards welcoming new siblings for several of the pupils and other notes reminding parents to please pack a hat every day for kinder. When we heard yelling, it sounded like Lindy. What was that? asked Rosa, quietly for her. Where's it coming from? I whispered. All of a sudden it seemed a little creepy. We tiptoed down the hall toward the playroom. We slowly looked around the corner. There was Lindy, tied with a skipping rope to one of the tiny chairs in the reading area, with Anne standing over her, her back to us. Lindy looked scared, but noticed us coming in and motioned with her head for us to stay where we were, just out of Anne's view. But what I don't understand is... Why, you killed him, man, she said in a clear voice. I noticed that Rosa suddenly grabbed her handbag and began to rummage round inside it. You wouldn't understand, would you, carrying on with that Marxist crap but letting Mummy and Daddy pick up all the bills? You think being a nurse working for a council pays enough? <laughs> Barely even covers the dry cleaning bill, Anne ranted. She seemed demented. I wouldn't expect you to understand, Liddy. You barely look after yourself, let alone have to provide for a family. I had finally worked out the perfect scam. All those new parents, suddenly relying on one income, barely able to cover the costs of their disposable nappies and formula, while driving their four-wheel drives, and then suddenly realising that in three short years they will have to find the best kinder and then schools for their kids. Day after day I had to listen to the whinging and the moaning until at last I couldn't take it any more. As long as their address is within the permitted zone, they get into this excellent council-funded kinder, and if they attend this kinder, then they are automatically entitled to apply for the excellent government primary school down the road. And I, I am the person who types the information into the computer when they make their first visit to me. So all I have to do is type the right address in, and they're in. Huh. Well, how much do you get out of it? asked Lindy. Enough. I mean... They are going to save tens of thousands if they don't need to send their brats to all those highfalutin private schools. So if they choose to be generous, who am I to knock it back? Anne snarled. You should be applauding. I'm doing my bit for the public school system. That should fit in with your pseudo-socialist ideals. You are taking kickbacks and rotting the system, said Lindy. The system that you want to tear down, retorted Anne. She did have a point. But what did Zarko have to do with it? Lindy asked. I had deliberately chosen him as my cleaner at home. He can't read English. I got overconfident, started to be sloppy. 
One day I accidentally left out my bank statements. How was I to know he had his nephew moonlighting for him here and at my house? A nephew studying to be a computer analyst, what's more. He noticed the large payments on my statements from names that corresponded with names he'd seen in the appointment book at the centre. He told Zarko, who was no fool, he got his nephew to hack into the computer and realised that people he cleaned for had the wrong address on the system and that they were also the people who had paid me money. He worked it out and started blackmailing me. But then he started getting greedy, wanting more. Pretty soon I'd have had to start shopping at savers like Rosa and that was not going to happen. I could feel Rosa bristling next to me. But how did you kill him? He's twice your size? It was easy. I organised to make a payment to him that morning and while chatting to him, pointed out some marks on the floor. He bent over to look, and wham, I smacked the compass into his head. He underestimated me, Lindy, much like you've done. And the alarm? Lindy queried a little more nervously. Who are you, James Bond? Don't think you're getting out of this one. All right, so I stuffed up there. Being a nurse, you do everything by routine, so... Force of habit, I guess, Anne answered. I was so used to putting it on every time I left here for the last five years. I just did it. What happens now? asked Lindy. You can't leave me tied up here with a skipping rope. I don't intend to, Anne replied nastily. You see, Mirabelle prepared a whole feast for the cleansing ceremony that nobody bothered to eat. It's vegan, of course, but not nut-free, I'm afraid. Typical Mirabelle, thinking the rules never apply to her. So it would be terrible if someone who suffered from anaphylaxis, someone like you, Lindy, accidentally ate one of these very nutritious but absolutely inedible Nut patties that she's left behind. I, of course, will try to do my best, try and resuscitate you, but I have a feeling it will be too little, too late. So sorry that your last meal is likely to be one of the most tasteless. Anne started moving towards Lindy, holding a nut patty in her hand. Well, that was too much for Rosa, who in one sudden movement ran into the room, picked up one of the kids painting easels, and ran at Anne with it, screaming for all she was worth. Anne turned around and copped the corner of the easel to her head. She fell on the floor out cold. Jesus, said Linny, you haven't killed her, have you, Rosa? Anne wasn't looking too good with a trail of red trickling down the side of her head. Don't worry, I think it's paint, Rosa panted. Oh, Untie me, said Lindy. Did you hear what she said about killing Zarko? Not only that, boasted Rosa, looking very proud of herself. I recorded it all on my mobile phone. Mick Bakula was again the officer sent out to the kinder. Christ, to think we leave our kids with you, he said, once he saw Anne hogtied with the same skipping rope. What I don't understand, Lindy, is... How you knew it was Anne.
Well, she explained, Rosa working out the bit about the alarm code confirmed what I'd already been thinking. When I bent down to feel if Zarko had a pulse that morning, I noticed a torn piece of material just near the body. It was Scanlon and Theodore last season. Now, only one person in our centre, apart from me, would buy that. True, said Rosa. And now we know how she afforded it. Well, why didn't you tell me? asked Mick. I wanted to talk to Anne first because I thought there must be some explanation. But she stayed away from work until today. When she returned for the cleansing ceremony, answered Lindy. And then with a bit of the radical zeal returning to her face. Besides, I don't work with the servants of oppressive regimes. But aren't you a servant of the same regime? queried Mick, getting a little heated. I'm destroying it from the inside, Lindy answered. Mick shook his head in disgust. Is the kinder going to be closed again? I asked Mick. Yeah, he responded gloomily. Just when I ran out of sick leave too. Why are you looking so happy? I asked Rosa as she and I headed for the door. She was literally grinning from ear to ear. Do you see a future for yourself as a freelance crime fighter? That's not it, she answered triumphantly. We're bound to get that danger money now. The end. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love your feedback. Subscribe for free to Scarlet Stiletto Bites wherever you get podcasts. And do visit our website, sistersincrime.com dot org dot au